just take from their story and apply it into our story. Because sometimes we read stuff, and um, especially if it's Old Testament stuff, and you're kind of thinking, yeah, that was like 4,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, and like, what has that got to do with living in Crumlin or wherever it may be that you are right now in 2016? But what's in the Word has nuggets for us right today. So what we want to do is we're going to take these people's lives, and we're going to go, imagine if they were sitting with us today. What could they talk to us about? What could they say that would make a difference to us right now? And, and just to put cream on the cake for the next five weeks, starting today, we have guest speakers coming in. And we have our Super Soul Sundays for July. And our first one is Sarah Taylor, who um, we've known for probably at least a few years. Yeah, we won't go, we won't go too young. Um, but a good few years. And Sarah has been a great friend to Hope since we started. Great friend to us from before we started Hope. Would have been a great friend to Hope. So, um, and she brought guys this week to run the kids camp as well. So this morning she's going to come and talk about Rahab. One of our favourite people in the scriptures. Um, so come and share what you got. Thank you. Give her a round of applause. Thank you very much. Oh no. You don't want me playing the guitar. We'll just strum once we've done. Uh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Brian, for the opportunity to, to speak and to share this morning. And uh, he contacted me about a week ago and asked uh, if I could could speak and said that they were doing a, a sermon series on on running with the giants and and uh, could I choose from one of these these characters. And so I thought that you were in the midst of a sermon series. And so to, then I found out that, no, no, this is the, the first one. And I thought, well, then my choice of Rahab seems like a really odd topic for Sunday morning. And like I could have chosen anything, and I chose to speak about a very strange character. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully you'll get some other well-balanced, excellent characters over the next few weeks um, as well. But I love the power of story. Love to read stories. Love to read. My idea of a perfect day is a day where I can just stay inside, read a book all day long. Love to read. I don't care what it is. I'm happy enough to read it. Just love how how story moves us and challenges us, inspires us. It lets us get caught up in another world or time. And Old Testament characters with their kind of larger-than-life abilities and failures and lifestyles make for truly, truly amazing stories. The Bible is full of these great stories, but it's also one giant story. We kind of just pick and choose some of the stories that we tell, and especially when we when we do like the, the camp this week with the kids, we kind of pick out, oh, this is a great story, we'll do that one. And we forget sometimes that the, the Bible is fully connected, that it's a giant story that's being told as well. So in the beginning, we have kind of this one man, Adam, one woman, Eve, and sin enters the world through these first two characters of the story. However, even in, in the punishment that comes because, because they've sinned, there's punishment that comes because there's always a consequence to our sin. But there was a promise that redemption would come. There was a promise that the seed of the woman would one day crush the serpent that, that we kind of represented the devil. And God puts his great story into plan in that moment, a plan to provide a savior, a savior who would come to save us from our sins. And through Adam and Eve's son, Seth, the lesser known son, uh, their son, Seth, comes the story of mankind. Generations go by, and by the time we get to the story of Noah and the great flood, God has decided that this human experiment has gone terribly wrong. And we read in Genesis 6-7, God says, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. He's so grieved that he has made them. 
This is some pretty serious stuff, right? When we look at our lives and we think, oh, I've made a bit of a mess of ourselves here, a mess of the soul situation. But when God looks and says, oh, I've made a mess. This is horrible. Like, that's a really serious sort of a thing. Just before that, in verse 5, God had indicated that the people were incredibly wicked, that every inclination and thought of their hearts were evil. It kind of sounds like uh, the, the, the culture in which a lot of us live today, just evil thoughts and evil incon- inclinations of the heart. But God looks at it and he finds one man named Noah. And Noah is righteous, and so God decides to start over with him and his family. And from Noah's son Shem comes Abraham, whom God chooses to call out and make the father of a great nation. This is the nation that would become God's chosen people. It's the story of Abraham and his descendants that make up the larger story of the Bible. Abraham, then his, that nation becomes known as, as Israel, and it becomes the, the, the Jewish people or the Israelites. Uh, all of these names then refer to the people that descend from Abraham. Through this family then will come that promised Savior, the one promised in the Garden of Eden at the same time that sin entered the world. And the rest of the book of Genesis then it, it focuses on this one family, and it reads like a sweeping family saga over many generations. I mean, it just has all kinds of good stuff in there. It's this one family with all their ups and downs and highs and lows. It's quite the amazing story. Genesis has the greatest narrative uh, stories of, of the Scripture, really. And it's, it's amazing. It's that it all kind of focuses then on Abraham and his son, uh, Isaac, and he marries Rebecca and then their, their children or yeah, their son, Jacob, and he has the two wives. It's a great story in Genesis, lots of good stuff in there. And then they have this son named Joseph. Very few other characters enter other than neighboring kings um, because it's this history book of this one family. One of those sons is named Joseph, and his brothers, uh, good brothers that they were, sell him into slavery, as you do. And uh, so sold him, made a little bit of money, and he ends up down in Egypt. He, Through a series of events, he goes from slave to prisoner um, to the second uh, in command in the nation, which was very helpful during a long famine in the land. That famine eventually sends all the rest of the family down to Egypt where they stay. And then finally the Pharaoh that knew Joseph that had put him into command, he dies. The next people don't really remember Joseph. All they see is that Joseph's family has increased in huge quantities. This is an enormous family. And so they find themselves then enslaved for some 400 years. And the people begin to cry out to God for deliverance. And from the tribe of Levi, another of Jacob's sons and Joseph's brother, is born a baby boy named Moses. Moses would be the one of like Prince of Egypt fame or the Ten Commandments, depending on your age and which film you've seen. But, um, but Moses becomes then the guy. And he grows up and he leads his people out of Egypt. He's the one that said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And so finally he did. And And they begin to make their way to this promised land. And as they got close to the land that God had promised, then Moses sends these 12 spies to survey the land. And they come back with amazing reports. Joshua and his friend, friend Caleb and the 10 others, and they come back and they say, you should see the fruit. It's like the size of your head. It's amazing. And he talks about these grapes that they they put on poles and took multiple people to, to bring back. And they're all like, this sounds amazing. And they say, well, what about the people that are there? 
And they're like, right, yeah, um, I mean, they're giants, but it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. And uh, the people were like, no, we're not, we're not going to do this. And so they disobeyed and they refused to go. And as a result, then God said, well, then you're going to need to wander around in the desert for about 40 years until that whole generation dies. And then we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can't get you there uh, from there. So that's what happens. They wander around, Moses dies, and then Joshua, who'd been one of those spies, becomes the leader. It's been a long time coming in this story. The promise of a Savior, the flood, the choosing of a family from which the Savior would come, years of slavery, the exodus from Egypt, 40 years of wandering in the desert because of disobedience, and now an entire generation has passed away, and it's finally time to take the land. The city of Jericho, a walled city, is the only thing now that stands in the way. And Joshua, maybe from learning from some past experiences gone wrong, he quietly sends two spies into the land of Jericho as opposed to making such a big ordeal about it. He quietly sends these two guys to find out what there is to see and to scope out the land. And all of this long story of the first five books, that was the first five books of the Old Testament in a nutshell, right? All of that big, long story and the way that it connects brings us to our text in Joshua chapter 2. This has been how this one family has arrived at this place and why the spies were being sent to a place called Jericho. And into this historical chosen by God family comes our main character for today, Rahab. And all of her baggage comes into this story as well. But we needed to understand the story that God has been writing to fully appreciate Rahab's story and how the two begin to intersect. Up to this point, we've seen very few outsiders enter the story. Joseph had a wife who doesn't really get a mention, but he's got these two sons, so she's important somewhere in the line. And Moses' wife was not from this family line either. But for the most part, the only main characters from the story outside of the family are kings or enemy people groups. So it's unusual then for an entire chapter to focus on an outsider one whose, whose story doesn't fit, one who is not part of this family, one who seems to come from the wrong side of the tracks, as it were. And into this family, then, we begin to read the story of Rahab in chapter 2 of Joshua. So Joshua chapter 2, we may, it'll be up on the screen, but I may skip over a few things just in the interest of time. So then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent these two spies. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to you to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yeah, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them real quick. I bet you can catch up with them. But really, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We've heard other stories of what God has done through you. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my whole family and all that belong to them and that you'll save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the minister. And if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window from the house that she lived in on the city wall. And she told them, go out to the hills and stay there for three days. And by that time, well, they'll have given up the chase and they'll come back here and you'll be able to go home. And so the men said, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land out this same window is a scarlet cord. If the scarlet is there, then when we see it, then everybody that's in that house will be saved. But if they're not there then we're not responsible. And so she said, agreed, let it be as you say. And she sent them away and they departed and she tied that tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they left and they did what she said and they went back to Joshua and they gave him this report. And so they begin to make preparation then to go to Jericho and it's a couple of chapters of really interesting instructions from the Lord. Things that Joshua doesn't really question. He just goes right ahead. Whatever God says to do, he does. And finally then uh, God gives him these very, very clear, wonderful military instructions. Here's how you're going to defeat Jericho. You're going to get trumpets. And so they got them some trumpets and he said, march around the city one time each day, making some music. And on the seventh day, march around it seven times and then give a big shout that says, for the Lord has given us the city and the wall will fall down except for where Rahab's family is. And you go grab them because you told them that you would. And, um, and here's how it all played out. And so chapter six tells us that that's exactly what happened. And finally, then Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her mother and father and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And then they go back through. And then finally, we read then that Rahab and her family live among the Israelites to this day. So that's her story. Isn't that a great story? love to read me a story. So here are the three things, though, that I want you to see about Rahab this morning, and that is her past, her present, and her future. The thing about her past is we don't really know much about it, but what we know about Rahab isn't particularly great. I mean, she's lived, she's quite clearly lived a sinful life. The Bible refers to her as a prostitute most every time that it mentioned her name just now in that passage. Um, and so that would have come with all of the stigma that it would come with today. And so we can infer from that that she's not necessarily known for her, her great lifestyle. She's living apart from God's ways and his laws. She has a family, but she isn't from that family that we just recounted um, through, through all of the, those first five books of the Old Testament. She's kind of new on the, on the scene for this story. However, she does seem to care deeply for her family. When she asked the spies to rescue her, she also included her father and mother and brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews. Family was important. It was just kind of the wrong family for this story. 
Many have wondered actually over the years why her story is even included in the Bible. Her past lifestyle is hardly one to, to emulate, and so she's not really a role model for, uh, for any of us today, and so that's sort of a common thought. The spies shouldn't have ever even met her. What were they doing in her house? I mean, these people were from the chosen family of God, and why are they in a prostitute's home? And there's lots of speculation as to why, but the point is, it seems like an odd place for them to be. Her heritage is all wrong. There's nothing to commend her to the Lord. She's not even really, quote, a good person, whatever that means. She's done a really good thing here in saving the spies, and yet it involves a lot of lying and deceit as well. So Rahab is not really a person who has grown up with a faith of her own. Yet Joshua 2 indicates that she grew up hearing stories of faraway people such as the Israelites. Verse 9, she says, I know the Lord has given this land to you. She's heard these stories before. Verse 10, we have heard. Verse 11, when we heard. She's heard these stories and they've been recounted to her. And finally, she says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And the Canaanite people, Rahab's people, worshipped many false gods. But in her words to the spies, we get the impression that she has no real, real belief that they will save her people. Their own gods of war seem very powerless in light of all she has grown up hearing about the true God of Israel. God himself had promised his own people that if they would obey his commands, then no man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. And by Rahab's words to the spies, we see that God's promise was true. But there's not much in her past that would truly recommend her for a Giants of Faith award. Next, then, we see her present. She's done quite well for herself. She has a house on the city wall. Must have been quite the expense. We know from the account in chapter 2 that she's smart, that she's quick on her feet. She very quickly made up a story to tell the king's men regarding the spies. But it also implies, again, that she's no stranger to lying and deception. We can infer from the text that she's hospitable and compassionate and merciful, and those are all qualities worth emulating, but are they giants of faith type material? I'm not really sure. And again, we read that she knows of the Lord, has heard of the Lord, and understands that he's the God of these two spies. She recognizes their faith, but still has no faith of her own. And yet she follows the plan laid out for her by the two spies. Her choice to believe them and believe the stories that she knows and has heard of their God saves her from death alongside the others who live inside Jericho's walls. Um, or Yeah, they all died and it saved her uh, uh, alone. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us that it was her choice to welcome and aid these spies that was an act of faith. She chose to believe and put her faith in the spies rather than in the gods of her own people. And her submission to God and his plan and his people is much more important than her ethnic identity and where she had come from. It appears that her present actions are much more important than anything that we know of her past. Chapter 6 tells us then that she's brought along with her family to live outside of the camp, that she lives among the people of Israel for the rest of her life. And it's important because it indicated that she's looked after, that she's welcomed into the story and the story of God's people. And according to Matthew chapter 1, she marries into the family of our story. And this is also important because at that time, a husband and the birth of a son are the only true means of provision for a woman. The only other means of provision for a woman in that day and age would have been what she had already tried. So this is important in that it lets us know that she gave up an old lifestyle and began a new life of faith with a, and a life uh, amongst God's people. Finally, then we look at her future. And here's where this whole sweeping family saga begins to matter. 
Again, the Bible has been all about this one family. It's traced their history and their, their heritage. It's traced how God has been faithful to them and faithful to their promises all along. And outsiders haven't mattered too much. But with Rahab, we see this family and then this outsider whose past and present are all wrong, but whose past and present don't really matter in light of who is in her future. She had made the wrong lifestyle or she'd had the wrong lifestyle. She seems to have had the wrong career, seemingly made all the wrong choices. She was born into a family that knew nothing of the true God, yet maybe she'd heard a few stories over the years. But here's where it all began to change. Matthew 1 tells us that she married into this family and not just any family, but the line of Judah from which would come a savior. The one promised from the very beginning of Genesis, the one whose family line we just traced. Rahab's past and her present are nothing compared to who was in her future line, and that's Jesus. She's part of the genealogy of Jesus, and that changes everything. What makes her a giant of the faith is not her past or her present or even really her choice to help the spies, but we recognize her today because of what was to come through her in her future. Jesus Christ and that what came ahead of her is what makes her a giant in this story. And you see, your life paints a story as well. You too have a past story. And your story may have some weird similarities to Rahab's story. Perhaps you weren't raised with much of a faith yourself. Maybe you'd heard a few stories about God, but he was never really real to you. You attended maybe a, a summer project the way that we're putting on, on this week, or, or maybe you'd heard something at school, but it never mattered. It never really took root. Maybe you feel like you have the wrong heritage or a part of the wrong family. Maybe there isn't much in your past that makes you feel worthy to come to church or even to God. You have that feeling that people are looking at you like, why is she at church? I wonder why he's doing here. We all know what he does. That's weird that he's here. Hmm, people can be judgy, you know? And 1 Corinthians 1.26 reads this way. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God, right? Isn't that how that reads? Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble. But God. But God changes things. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that aren't, to nullify the things that are so that nobody can boast before him. It isn't anything that we've done. It's because of him that we are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. All of that is found in God and not in ourselves. Therefore, it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that sums up our past, pretty much all of us. Not too smart, not of noble birth, but God. But Jesus intersects in our story, and it changes everything. You see, we were outsiders of this story as well. None of us were born into this as infants. That's not the way it works. But we were born again by our faith in Christ Jesus. And our past doesn't dictate our future. And secondly, then it's our present. And the truth is our present circumstances don't dictate our future either. We might have done quite well for ourselves on our own like Rahab, but it isn't our good works or our abilities that get us into the family of God. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift, a gift of God. It's not by works, and no one can boast. 
Or maybe like Rahab, you come and you know about the Lord. You're hearing the story. You know the Lord is the God of others, but you haven't made a decision for yourself. But your present decision to become part of the family of God can totally change your future. After the fall of Jericho, we first read that Rahab and her family were placed outside of the camp. And you might be feeling that you're still even an outcast, even in the family of God. Always on the outside, feeling like I'm so close, and yet I still don't feel a part. I still don't feel like I can really come in. I still don't feel like I can really be a part of all that God has because of. But but maybe you didn't understand what my past was. Well, maybe you didn't understand what it is that I've done. So I'll just stand a little outside of the camp. I, I believe, and I'm part of the family, but I just I feel a little bit outside. And maybe that's the way that Rahab felt a little bit as well. But Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. And if that isn't Rahab, that's exactly, she wasn't exactly a citizen. She was still a foreigner to the covenant. All of those people that we talked about at the beginning, those people were covenant people. These people had a covenant with God. They knew who God was. And here's Rahab over here. Like, I like these people. These are good people, but I'm not part of them. My, there's nothing in my past. There's no, there's no family tree that connects me to any of these people. And she might felt a little bit like, I don't know. And she was without hope and without God in the world, the way that that scripture says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And we've been brought near. We have been brought into to where Jesus is. We aren't on the outside looking in. We've been brought near. The passage goes on to explain that Jesus himself is our peace, that he's broken down every wall. There's nothing to keep us separated from Jesus. And then finally, that chapter says that we are no longer foreigners. Rahab was a foreigner with her own history, her own gods, her own way of of life, but Jesus changed everything for her and for us. And we're no longer strangers to God, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We belong now to Jesus and to his family in the same way that being brought in through marriage meant future provision and protection for Rahab. Being part of God's family, his household means provision and protection for us as well. And these are our present circumstances, or at least they can be for us. No longer are we far away. No longer was Rahab outside of the camp, but she was brought in and brought in to have a future that included Jesus. And we can be brought near to Jesus Christ and he can be in our future as well. For those who are in Christ Jesus, our future is secure. It no longer matters what's behind us because if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Jesus is our future. With Jesus in our present and in control of our future, we have reason to celebrate. And this is good news this morning. Good news that our past doesn't keep us out of the family of God. Our present doesn't keep us from the family of God. We don't need to be good enough, smart enough, have more than enough money, have to clean up our act or be from the right family in order to approach God. We just need to come to him and repent of our sins and ask him to live inside of us. And this is the power of story. It's the power of the story of Rahab, that her story intersects with the story of the Bible. It's the story of redemption and changed lives. And her past didn't dictate her future because her future is Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. Let me really quickly, as we close, give you a a few examples of, of what this good news looks like in action. 
This is good news for a single mom who sat in my home with tears running down her face. I'd been inviting her and inviting her and inviting her to come to a Bible study. And finally, I thought, there's no point. She's not going to come, and, and I'm probably just harassing her. And so I actually didn't invite her this on this one night. And the next week, she texted. She said, are you still having that, that Bible study? Because I need to talk to somebody, and I need to come. And she sat in my living room, and tears just flowed down her face as she asked me if God was punishing her for her past as she struggled to make a new life in Christ. And the story of Rahab shows me that God doesn't punish us for our sins, though there may still be consequences. Because rather than punishment, there's huge blessing that came for Rahab, that she was given a place in the family of God. She's given a husband and a child, which means she'll be provided for. And though she doesn't know it at that moment, she's an ancestor of Jesus. And the story of Rahab is the story of good news. And that's what I was able to explain to that mother who said in my house, no, no, he's not punishing you. He has good things in store for you and good plans and your past doesn't have to dictate what's in your future because Jesus has changed everything for her. It's good news for a lady I shared the same story of Rahab with. She'd been kicked out of her home, had no family to belong to, and she so identified with the story that it wasn't about growing up in church or having the right family or having lived a perfect life, but that it was about Jesus changing her life. She just couldn't believe it as we began to explain about all these people that had been connected. And we had for weeks been talking about about all those other people in the story that I shared at the beginning. We talked about Adam and Eve, and we talked about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and, and, and all the wives and, and on and on the story went. And here came this outsider and she so identified with this. And it, I, I had to, to just, just laugh when she told me she left my house after we had talked about the story and talked about the difference that Jesus makes in our future. And she went straight to her boyfriend and she said, guess what I found out tonight? I'm just like this prostitute Rahab. I mean, I'm not a prostitute. She said, I like to broke my heart laughing when she came back. But the point was that she realized that it didn't matter about her past or about being from the right group or the right family because she had no family to speak of. But it was about Jesus changing everything in her future. And that's good news. Good news because Jesus in her future changes everything for both Rahab and this lady who heard her story 3,500 years later. It's good news for a young man who once sat in my office one day. He'd come in off of the street and just needed somebody to talk to and And so he found his way into my office. I'd never met him before, and I've never seen him since. But he began to share his story and how he had made a huge mess of his life. But he said, I'm not a victim. He kept telling me that. I'm not a victim. And finally, he said this line, which has so stuck with me. He said, I chose this path. I just didn't know it would lead here. He desperately needs an encounter with Jesus that says your past doesn't matter to Jesus because he'll clean you and he'll change you and set you on a new path if you'll come to him in faith. Here he was thinking, I I chose this. I chose this life of destruction. I just didn't realize this was the end. And it doesn't have to be the end because Jesus can set us on a new path. And that may have been the past. It may even be his present, but it doesn't have to be his future because Jesus changes everything. And that's good news. It's good news for me too, because Jesus has changed my life. He canceled out my sins and paid my debts. And now he can use me to share this truth with others because I've allowed him to do a work in my life. I allowed him to change me and to set me free from, from sin and from, from just lies of the, that the devil had tried 
to tell me and I can allow him now to work through me. This is good news for you this morning because in the words of a really old song, your sins are all pardoned, your guilt is all gone, and you're saved by the blood of the crucified one. That's good news. You are brought into the family of God. You are loved. Your past doesn't define you. Your faith in Jesus does. And that faith becomes the only thing that matters. You may feel today that you aren't good enough to be part of God's family. Well, Rahab certainly wasn't good enough, but she became an ancestor of Jesus. You may feel that your past is too awful and you're no longer worthy of salvation. Well, Rahab wasn't worthy either, but she put her faith in the God of this family. And none of us are worthy, but God's grace and his mercy, they cover us. You may feel right now that you don't have all the right stuff to be part of this church, of the Hope Center, or even a part of God's bigger family, but you would be wrong. We don't have to have it all together, right? No perfect people allowed in here anyhow. Brian, I'll stop you at the door. We don't have to have it all together or all figured out before we come to Jesus. But Jesus changes everything. It changed how Rahab was known. She wasn't just Rahab the prostitute. That's even the way that the Bible describes her. She wasn't just the one from Jericho. Instead, Rahab became known as someone's wife. She was Salmon's wife. She was, she was a mother. She becomes known to us in that genealogy. And in the genealogy, there's no mention of her former life. It just says that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She became known as a completely different person when it came time for Jesus to be in her future. And it changes who we are as well. We're one of God's chosen people. And Jesus gives us a new identity as well. Jesus changes everything. And the question this morning for you then is Jesus in your future. And he can be in your present as well. And we're going to pray in just a minute. And, and if anyone is here that's kind of put off coming to Jesus, then I invite you right in your seats and in your own words to just ask Jesus to erase the past and to forgive you and make you a new person in him and take up residence in your life. And if you've already been changed by Jesus, then I want you to just take a moment to pray that the joy and the excitement of the change that Jesus brought to you becomes so real again that you have to share it with others. Don't just keep the good news of what Jesus has done in your life to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself the way that Jesus changed your past and forgave that and changed your future or your present and put himself into your future. Don't keep that to yourself, but tell someone else how Jesus changed everything for you. Because I can imagine Rahab telling Boaz, her son, you know, it wasn't always like this, but these two spies came one day and their God changed everything. Jesus changes everything. That's the power of story of this story. That's a faith worth emulating and a faith worth sharing. When Jesus intersects the story, everything changes. What good news. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for good news that you come and you bring Jesus into our lives to bring salvation, to forgive us of a past that we're not proud of, a past that we're ashamed of, or maybe just a past that didn't involve you, where we didn't put you as the center but a past that you weren't in and you forgive that and you change that and you set us on a new path, one where Jesus is walking with us, one where Jesus is in our future. Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for the difference that you can make in our hearts and lives. 
Lord, we may not feel worthy, but Jesus, you make us worthy. You are the one who changes it. We can't change it on our own. You change it for us. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you died on a cross, that you bore in your body our sins so that we didn't have to, that you're put into the ground and put into a grave, and then three days later you rose again, and you're alive forever always then walking with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us, never walking out on us, but always walking with us and pointing us closer and closer to you. And for those of us that have already experienced that life-changing power inside of us, I pray today, Lord, that you would remind us again of how good this news truly is, of the difference that this truly, truly makes. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us to tell somebody else, to tell our children to tell our family, to tell our friends, you know, it wasn't always like this. But one day, Jesus came, and that changed everything. And may we never be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.